a beautiful day here in Minnesota, where I'm from. And uh, just by way of background, I might tell you that uh, Good Cities is a group that's committed to uh, discovering, connecting, and serving vibrant city movements and helping them develop processes that create good cities. In, uh, in our work, uh, that means that we work oftentimes with cross-sector collaboration. And uh, it, it was uh, June 14th through the 16th that uh, this summer that I, I visited with uh, our board chair, uh, Scott Myers, and we were at Weatherhead School of Management uh, with a, a whole conference of over 500 people who wanted to hear about flourishing enterprise, specifically business as an agent of world benefit. And, uh, and so uh, shortly after that, I had a chance to go down and visit with John Bost at, uh, in, in Winston-Salem and to hear about Love Out Loud and some of the good work that was going on there. And, uh, you know, what I learned very quickly was that there was great interest in ways that business leaders can begin to put full-time activity into benefiting their community. Businesses have turned from sustainability, which is reducing their ecological footprint, to really doing good in their community and solving critical social issues. And we heard from business leaders in various places that we went who were talking about uh, how businesses could begin to address critical social issues in cities and communities and, and form a business model that would, in fact, uh, be not only sustainable, but growing. And, uh, and Lord knows, when, when we think about the amount of time that volunteers can put in to address critical issues in cities, we're talking maybe one or two hours a week. But if a business makes it its full-time activity, you're putting many people to work on critical issues and solving critical social problems in cities uh, on a full-time basis. We see this as being transformational and having great impact. And um, so we decided that we would begin to gather leaders who were interested in how businesses do good in communities and to share then to share stories about how that's taking place. And last month we heard from Scott Myers, who is the chairman of Good Place Holdings. And uh, and this month we're we're going to be taking one step further with our guest Chuck Proudfit today. And uh, and we'll be talking with Chuck momentarily. But let me tell you about a couple of special opportunities coming up on near horizon. First of all, on October the 19th. We're going to have a, a, our next call will be with Jonathan Halperin, who uh, works with Brownstone Bakeries, a, a company that that makes that works in Yonkers, New York, and and they make brownies that are in Ben and Jerry's brownie ice cream, and they have developed a whole system of open hiring in which the first person on their list who applied for the job gets the job, and uh, he'll tell us how that works as they're employing all kinds of people who have had a hard time finding employment but become great employees working at Brownston Bakeries. And then uh, the month after that, on November 16th, we'll have a call with Pablo Guevara. And uh, Pablo is one of the principals who works uh, in Cleveland, Ohio, with a company that's called Epic Pie. Epic Pie is a, uh, it's an investment firm that helps investors achieve their mission by investing in companies that are actually carrying out 
the kinds of activities that they really want to see happen in our world. And then finally, I want to just note that uh, on October 20th and 21st, we're going to have our first face-to-face -face gathering. It's kind of a pilot gathering of businesses doing good in Akron, Ohio, hosted by Scott Myers at, uh, at SD Myers, which is a part of Good Place Holdings. And if you're interested in that, I'd encourage you to email me after the call. That's Glenn, G-L-E-N-N, -N, at goodcities.net. And uh, we'd love to have your involvement in uh, – in uh, coming together with others, and we'll have uh, just we'll have a dinner the first night on uh, October the 20th, which is a Friday night, and then uh, we'll have an all-day meeting uh, to uh, to hear stories, to be encouraged, and then to uh, learn new ways that businesses are doing good in communities uh, around the country. So, without further ado, let me let me turn our conversation to today's topic. Today, uh, we have as our guest. A friend of mine and board member, Chuck Proudfit of uh, Cincinnati. Chuck uh, is known by many for his work with uh, the largest marketplace movement in any city in the country called At Work on Purpose. Chuck also runs a business that's called SkillSource that helps to fund the work of At Work on Purpose um, as, uh, as Chuck helps businesses develop effectiveness and, and Chuck uh, has a, a background that, uh, that got him into doing something that he wrote a book about called, uh, called Businessry. Uh, Chuck is a graduate of Harvard University, and uh, today we're going to have a great opportunity to hear a little bit about what Businessries are all about and why they're important to this movement of businesses doing good. Chuck, welcome to the call. Thank you. It's good to be here, Glenn. Yeah, well, it's it's so good to have you, and we've had a couple more join us since uh, since we uh, we got started on the call here. But Chuck, tell us a little bit about what a business tree is, and uh, and how this idea came into being. Sure. So, round about 2002, I was in the early stages of envisioning a work-life ministry for what I came to call the everyday working Christian. A Christian with a job or looking for one, hungry to integrate faith and work, but not sure how to do that. And as a team and I were pulling together the underpinnings for what this ministry would become, one of the questions we had to answer was how to fund it. And typically, when you launch a nonprofit ministry, the immediate default is that you fund it through donors, uh, capital campaigns, or fundraising initiatives. But in my spirit, Glenn, that didn't feel right for a marketplace mm -hmm. ministry, at least not for this one. To me, I thought to myself, you know, if we're from the marketplace where our whole focus is creating economic engines that generate revenue to get things done, why not use economic engines to fund this marketplace ministry? And in the earliest days, I thought to myself, I was sharing with this launch team, I said, you know... This little consulting firm that I lead called SkillSource is a profitable venture. We could take the profit dollars from SkillSource as a consultancy and use those as the budget to fund the ministry we came to call At Work on Purpose. And I was joking that day with the launch team. I said, you know, SkillSource, the consulting firm, the business, it will fund the ministry At Work on Purpose. The business will fund the ministry and we'll call it a business tree. 
T-R-Y-N-I-S-T-R-Y. And we all started to laugh. <laughs> we, we said, there's an idea, and it actually worked great for the first few years. In other words, the profit dollars from SkillSource did fund an operating budget that got that work on purpose off the ground. But God started to do something much bigger with what we tend to call business trade. And by the way, Glenn, as I kind of walk into this a little bit, there are many expressions of what I could call Christ-centered or faith-based enterprise. So business tree is just one term for that. Uh, there's a business's missions movement. There are uh, kingdom enterprises, transformational enterprises. I've heard so many different names for these. But the heart is more than just to generate profit dollars for ministry, but rather that the business venture itself could serve as a platform for ministry in the marketplace. And this is where God took us. He really took us from just the dollars, from the profit, to the deeper purpose of an enterprise. And I loved what you were saying earlier, Glenn. You were talking about the idea that we could begin to envision businesses being there not just to be profitable, but in a deeper sense to be purposeful in the world. And as you were talking about that, I had a flashback years ago when I was at Harvard, and we study, I do a lot of case studies. One of them was actually on the idea, why do we go into business? And the premise of the case study was you go into business to make money. In other words, the purpose of business is to be profitable. And I wrestled, even back then, with that idea. It felt incomplete. I wasn't a Christian at that point. It just felt like there should be more to a business than just making money. And this is where God took us with what we came to call business. And so over time, we started to create a framework to help guide us in specific ways for how to begin to integrate faith into the operation of the organization. And I'll kind of stop there for a minute and just um, let you interject or ask questions. I can go further down that path or I can move in a different direction as we kind of unpack what we call business trip. Yeah, I, you know, uh, Chuck, one of the things that I often think about is uh, <clears throat> that when you're a Christian business leader, um, it's probably not just an issue of interjecting faith into business. It's that as a Christian leader, you probably see, uh, you know, I mean, most Christian business leaders that I know see their Christian faith as being foundational for the ways in which they work with their employees, the way they serve their clients, the way they produce their products and services, so that servant leadership becomes a critical element of, uh, of their work and witness on a daily basis. How do you see business trees really having a positive impact in Cincinnati and beyond, Chuck? Well, first, just to build on what you're saying there, the, the Old Testament word avodah, is synonymous for both work and worship. And so you find in the Old Testament, as you're reading through it, that the word work and the word worship are used interchangeably. And the modern um, expression of that in the context of an enterprise is that anything that isn't sinful is sacred. There is no secular. So when we look at an enterprise, if we understand it through spiritual eyes, we recognize that if it's not sinful, it's sacred. That enterprise itself is a form of worship. Our work inside an organization and its work inside the marketplace is an expression of worship. And if we view it as a sacred undertaking, it changes everything 
about how we see our intent and our initiative in and through the enterprise. So, hey, Chuck, in our Chuck case, let me jump yeah. in. Let me just jump in and just quickly say one thing. Avodah, work and worship, are, that's interesting. It's so interesting. Those are interchangeable. And, uh, and the word uh, ministry really means to serve, doesn't it? Yes, absolutely. And it begs the question, how do we think about service in and through an enterprise? I think it is mm-hmm. such a cool thing that the marketplace, because of competitive pressures, forces us to be very attuned to what we would call customer service. And I think if we step back spiritually and we look at that with bigger, broader eyes, we could say stakeholder service. And here's what I mean by that. When we're leading an enterprise in the marketplace, we have a whole series of stakeholders that are, in a sense, orbiting in and around the products and services that we provide to the enterprise. So we have customers, of course, but we also have employees. We have um, suppliers. We have contractors. We have regulators. We have investors. We even have competitors. These are all stakeholders inside of our sphere of influence. When we begin to look at ourselves as a service platform to all of the stakeholders in our sphere of influence, it changes the way we think about purposeful operations of the enterprise. In our case, uh, with what we have come to call business street, what we're attuned to doing is first understanding and then meeting the felt needs of these different stakeholder groups, and then as God opens doors to be able to express or share the faith premise or foundation for the business street itself. In other words, we first serve and then we earn the credibility to speak as doors are open for us. Mm, that's great. That's great. Well, talk a little bit about, uh, you know, the, the kinds of business trees you see developing in Cincinnati and the positive impact that they're having in Cincinnati. Sure. When we started down this path, and again, originally, we had started out with what I would call a one-dimensional view of this. So we were just looking at this little consulting firm, I think, as a funding mechanism for a marketplace ministry. And then God opened our eyes to a, a much more, uh, I'll call it multi-dimensional way to understand that the business can do good in the community. And service, as you said, Glenn, is the focus of what that looks like. So we started walking down that path, but then... As we started to see early results, we thought to ourselves, well, how do we help to spark lots of different people interested in business who would do something similar? And we realized that if we were going to make that happen, we needed to find a way to focus on ideas for enterprises that were simple, affordable, profitable, and replicable. Let me repeat hmm. those again. Simple. In other words, not a rocket scientist, you know, uh, and many of these business trees that we have, uh, Glenn, they are uh, landscaping companies and, you know, a hair salon and a CrossFit gym. It's that kind of thing so that you can essentially make it possible for what I would call an everyday entrepreneur to access this concept rather than it becomes so esoteric, you know, limited to just a few people with certain skills or whatever that a lot of the, um, most of the everyday entrepreneurs couldn't relate to the idea. So we keep it simple. The second one is affordable. Anything that we can do to find 
simple ideas for business streams that don't have a high cost of entry sometimes described in the marketplace. In other words, you don't have to have a small fortune in, other, uh, in order to get going. If you can so have, maybe maybe that would be something like uh, window washing or something like that. Right. Well, it could be something like that, exactly, or something um, affordable enough that a bank could make a loan, but it's not like you have right. to go out and build a giant factory with a bunch of high-tech equipment and stuff like that. And it's not that any of that's bad. It's just that in our case, we were trying to create a number of different business trees. And in order to have a larger number, you want to have as um, – replicable uh, process as possible. So keep it simple, keep it affordable. The profitable part, now I know that in a sense goes without saying, but but here's the thing. There are a lot of people in, in what's called social enterprise, which has a sort of similar flavor to what we're talking about here. And I have mm-hmm. observed over the years that one of the challenges with the social enterprise movement is that the mindset is we are in business for a mission, and we will believe that the money will follow. In other words, we're going to do our best to be profitable, but that's not our first objective, and we'll have to figure out how to cover the gap if there's some money that we didn't get that we really needed. The problem with that is that long-term, that is not a sustainable proposition. And I have seen so many social enterprises launch with a lot of promise, but then ultimately fail for lack of profitability. So we make a point of calling it out. It's not a bad thing. It is a good thing to be profitable. There's almost like a hidden connotation in some Christian circles that I have been around anyway, where profitability is sort of viewed as dirty. And the reason is that people assume if you're pushing for profitability that your motives uh, become about the money instead of about the mission. And I would argue just the opposite. I'm hungry for profitability because it creates investment capital to further the mission. And so we're really calling out profitability as a cornerstone. And and then if you have those resources, you can invest in growth. Well, one of the ways that you grow is through replication. And many of our business trees here in greater Cincinnati, Glen, are beginning to replicate. So, for example, mm. the CrossFit gym that was originally in Mason, Ohio, but we now have a second location in Lebanon, a counseling service that started off in one facility and it now is in a second one in a different area of town. We're even starting to create uh, campuses of business trees that are integrated inside local churches. And we literally are now working with three other local churches in greater Cincinnati to replicate business tree campuses. So, again, those four ideas are simple, affordable, profitable, and replicable. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I love that. So, uh, so tell us then uh, about the uh, positive benefit and the positive impact that people in Cincinnati are seeing from the business trees that you've started. There are a lot of different kinds of benefits, but I think one of the most foundational is that it literally enables entrepreneurially wired people to see how their faith can inform their work rather than uh, looking at being an entrepreneur as something that's second class. In other words, that's first class, you know, going out on a mission or something like that. The entrepreneur, to, the Christian entrepreneur, to begin to view their work in an entrepreneurial venture as their mission field. That it is every bit as spiritually significant, every bit as kingdom building as our more traditional concept of a missionary. So one of the key benefits is empowerment. It empowers people that are given marketplace gifts 
to be spiritually alive in the places where they work. Uh, it also creates a lot of side benefits for the people who participate because the culture, the corporate culture, that's formed inside business groups is, is really geared for the common good of the communities where we work and where we live. It's not just about making money, it's about making a difference. And so the organization, while it's focused primarily on products and services that benefit the community, it's also focused on being a blessing, being beneficial to all these different stakeholders that are involved with it. So they, the way that they would typically experience that, Glenn, is things like, man, you guys are so pleasant to work with. You are so thoughtful. You always go the extra mile. You give me peace of mind when I work with you guys. I never have to worry about you guys you know, following through and staying true to your word. It's stuff like that. Uh, and people will say this regardless of their faith persuasion. In other words, you don't That's have wonderful. to be frustrated. Yeah. yeah, and so that is a, a big benefit. The third benefit is we are integrating business streams inside local churches is that it creates a whole new dimension of what the local church might call outreach ministry. It suddenly creates a brand new way for a local church to be relevant to the community in which it's placed, to serve people in the community and benefit them, not just immediately through the products and services, but through connection to a faith community, where they, they may never walk inside a, a worship center or you know, a, a, a sanctuary, but but the church can walk inside their lives and do it through a business enterprise. That's great, Chuck. Hey, um, just uh, I'm going to stop for just one second. I can hear some uh, noise in the background. If uh, if if someone who's uh, called in today uh, is doing something in the background, uh, it might help if you you can mute your phone by pressing star six, or you can mute your phone on a mute button that you might have on your phone there. Um, but it, it might help the sound quality of our call if uh, if you mute the phone at this time. So, uh, Chuck, let me go on to uh, just uh, one final question in our part of this call, and that is, do you have any advice for someone wanting to use the business to remodel in their own city or community? And then uh, one other thing I guess I'm thinking about here, uh, when, when I was in Cincinnati two years ago with uh, – our city convene conference, and you took us on site, one of the things that I was really impressed with was that there was a, a catering business that was employing people that may have found it hard to get a job somewhere else. Right. Maybe it was their first job or or something else was going on um, in their, um, you know, in their lives. Perhaps they had a prison record or something like that. But here, this this uh, business tree was giving them an opportunity to rebuild their lives. Yes, absolutely. One of the social concerns that is, is so pressing, and it doesn't matter, you know, whether you're a Christian or not, is people who are coming out of a criminal history of some kind, or they've been convicted of some sort of felony, the way our laws are set up is incredibly difficult for these people coming out of prison and looking for a second chance to find one. In other words, the, the system's almost uh, predisposed to keeping them out of employment opportunities at the very time that that's exactly what they need to get a second chance and to take a different direction in their lives. So this is a great example of a benefit to society through these enterprises. And we've actually done quite a bit with that over the years where you can create 
second chance employment. One of the things that's very real in that, Glenn, is that it's critical to have a community of support. In other words, it's one thing to hire somebody who's walking into a job out of a, a prison history or whatever uh, and learning the, the tasks that they need to do in their job. But the bigger issue is learning how to live in society in a way that works. And that requires what we would call discipleship or counseling or mentoring or coaching. In other words, we have found that it's really important that as you bring these people into employment, that you aren't just giving them a job, you're giving them a community of support that mentors them in their life, not just in their job. And what that usually means is, at least for us, you don't want to hire too many second chance people at once. You want to have, it's kind of like a ratio. For every uh, second chance person you have, you want to have uh, several at least people that are kind of their team of support to walk with them as they adapt into a society uh, that expects them not just to work, but to live within a variety of ground rules. Hmm. Doc, do you have a resource or anything or a website that you'd like to point people toward that would help them if they would like to uh, go deeper to understand how they might start a business tree in their own community? Yeah, the the biggest uh, thought there, and it finishes uh, answering the question that you gave me a few minutes ago, is don't do a business tree alone. Do it in community. Uh, it's such a difficult path. Starting up a business is hard. Starting up a business tree, in my experience, is even harder. Uh, mm-hmm. So a place to start in terms of a community of support, which can be at a distance, uh, we interact with a lot of people from around the country that are interested in this concept. So we talk to them over the phone and try to be helpful to them from a distance. So different ways that they could connect in or learn more. One of them is to visit a website. It's selfsustainingenterprises.com. And a number of our business trees are housed inside this organization. So that's selfsustainingenterprises.com. Uh, another resource that might be helpful is a book that my local church pastor and I have published together on business tree. Uh, it's called Business Tree, Transforming Lives Through Enterprise. It's available on Amazon.com. That's great. It's, it's great to have resources that people can turn to. And uh, Chuck, one thing that uh, we talked about in our last call that I think is kind of interesting when you're talking about entrepreneurial enterprises, a lot of times there's a high failure rate with entrepreneurial startups. Um, right. We talked about Benups in our last call where someone who's had a very successful business has a clientele um, and uh, is getting set to retire may want to keep that business going, and, um, and, and they've already got a proven business model in place, and it's a matter of transferring the uh, the assets that they've developed over time to someone else. Have you all done that with uh, business trees as well? Because those are really uh, those are much easier to get going because they're already going. <laughs> yes, we have. There's a, a company here in Cincinnati that was uh, basically in lawn care and landscaping and stuff like that, and yeah. the business as a next generation of of ownership kind of came into place. They moved increasingly in a commercial direction and away from residential, but they had a whole residential business. And so what ended up happening was we broke it into two parts, the residential side, 
and created two business trees out of it, one that's focused on landscaping and another one that's focused on just basic lawn care and stuff like that. And my point being that you don't just have to start a business tree from scratch. You can take a product or service that's already there and you can mm-hmm. basically um, come alongside it and infuse or fully integrate this ministry dimension of the business. Oh, that's and great. Comes a business tree. Very good. Thank you, Chuck. That, uh, we're going to open the phone lines at this time. If you have pressed a mute button, you may want to unmute your phone at this time. And here's uh, you, you can do that if you press star six. You can just press star six again when you're ready to ask a question. And what I want you to do is give me your name and where you're from, and then uh, ask your and then uh, you know I'll recognize you. Then ask a question, and uh, it'll uh, just keep things uh, in good order on a conference call if if you just uh, you know do that one thing. Just give us your name and where you're from, and then ask a question or make a comment. Either way, who's first? Uh, John Balst, uh, Glenn, I am uh, uh, listening to this and like kind of salivating, as you know, from talking with us here. My wife and I are fixing to pull the trigger on a $12,000 check really to partner with an individual. Uh, I think, Glenn, you may have gone through there, by there with Scott to, to lease 4,000 square foot just left before coming over here meeting with Neighbors for Better Neighborhoods, which is principally an African-American nonprofit that's been involved in community development, but ironically has never been located in their community. So both brings credibility what we're trying to do and uh, what I'm trying to do is help move toward these this whole thing of both benefits and startups. Uh, Chuck, how does one go about uh, and have you offered opportunities for other cities to partner with you? Yes. We actually are interfacing with a number of individuals in different cities who are working on these kinds of projects. And the the relationships kind of have a few different levels to them. One of them is is just that we're sort of an on-call resource. So they're going along and they, they hit a, a tough patch or they're questioning a strategy or whatever and they just give us a call. And when I say us, that includes me, but others that are kind of in this space. So one of them is just an on-call resource. In a few cases, we've had some people that have traveled out here where we just we literally spend some time with them, coaching and training them, uh, just kind of giving them an immersion into what we've done here and how we've experienced it ourselves to help them as they go back to wherever they are. And then the third thing is that we have just built what I would call a very loose community of uh, practitioners so that periodically we can sort of touch base with each other, uh, whether it's a conference call, not unlike this one. It's just a way to uh, compare notes from time to time. In addition, what we're finding is that there are so many people with a heart for this kind of uh, integrated walk, you know, where the business enterprise is integrated with ministry impact. And it goes by so many different names. And so in no way are we hung up on a term like business tree. What we're much more interested in is finding um, like-minded spirits, kindred spirits. And that means that wherever we encounter, you know, people that have started something and they're, they use different terminology or whatever, is just to be available, helpful to learn from them, to share some things that could be helpful for them. 
And that is sort of like a, a community of practitioners, for lack of a better description. Well, and, Glenn, if I could say one more thing. I don't know how many people are on here, so I don't want to hawk the conversation. But long story short, uh, Chuck, we're in a community that has been blessed with resources from R.J. Reynolds Tobacco, interestingly enough, that now has, through the help of Wake Forest University, uh, basically transformed those facilities into what's called the innovation quarters and has begun a, what's called Venture Cafe. The leadership happens to be Christ-centered. That is, the leadership of the initiative is Christ-centered. Of course, everyone involved is not particularly Christ-centered. And, uh, and at the same time, the churches have been woefully hesitant to do anything constructive collectively in the marketplace apart from T-shirts and backpacks. Have you right. faced that same challenge? Oh, yeah. We have so institutionalized the separation of faith and work that it plays out on all kinds of levels, including local churches that are often very uncomfortable with faith expression in the marketplace. They can feel like it's secular or dirty or outside the scope of what a local church should do. And similarly, I find that marketplace people will often view the local church as kind of irrelevant um, to day-to-day work life. They won't see it as a resource for a different perspective or a deeper significance. And the reality is that that the church isn't a building. It's not a denomination. It's not a, an institution. It's people. The church is the collective body of believers. I get so excited when I hear about uh, believers who, like you just described in this venture cafe, are in God has placed them in leadership in an initiative that itself has a broad uh, perspective. So people are involved from all kinds of different faith perspectives, but God has placed them in leadership as Christians. Wow, what an opportunity. So my encouragement to them would be uh, recognize that you are the church, capital C, at work in that environment. How do you, through the way that you serve and the witness that you form, create such a testimony that people want to know more about you, they want to hear your story, eventually they ask about you know more of the details of your life, and they open the door for you to share your faith testimony and all that kinds of stuff, but it starts by earning the credibility to speak. So that's the pathway for them. For the local churches, my um, thought there is what I have come to call churches of peace, and here's what I mean by that. I have found that the vast majority of local churches are still really, really wrestling and in many cases are kind of asleep to the opportunity of faith at work. Having said that, I have also found that there is a small subset of local churches that are really open to the idea. They don't necessarily know how, but they're sort of intrigued. And these are churches like the ones we're working with in Cincinnati that have seen the campus of business trees that we have built here that's integrated inside a local church and they love that idea and they're saying could we could you help us to do that where we are and our vision there is that a decade from now we would have dozens of these business tree campuses literally housed on local church property all over the city and that creates a whole new way for the local church to begin to taste and see that marketplace ministry is good Wow. Hey, Chuck, this is Scott Clevenger out of Dallas. Um, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. 
I'm working on a project where we're trying to take 300,000 people in 10 zip codes that the average household income is 30,000 and raise that average to 50,000. Gallup has a, a, a diagnostic tool that is uh, supposedly indicating entrepreneurial personality capability and 3% are supposedly able to be uh, uh, entrepreneurs very successfully. So the idea is that if you take 300,000 people and you find 9,000 of them that can run businesses, if you, run, if you launch 9,000 businesses in that area and they all employ 10 people, you know, then you put uh, 90,000 people to work. So the Amen. question is, if we were able to uh, test these nine, if we were to identify these 9,000, how is the fastest way to take them from a potential entrepreneurial capability to launching a business and and employing people successfully in as quick a, in as short a time as possible? So, do you have any ideas on that? <laughs> First of all, I love the vision for that. That is like so cool, and it points out something that maybe is obvious to some, but but it's to be easy to miss. It is a huge ministry blessing to a community just to create a job. It literally is a sustaining way to lift a, a family, for example, out of poverty, to create a purposeful significance in somebody's life who otherwise would feel aimless or who would seek out that purpose, leading a drug gang or who knows what. You know, so their entrepreneurial gifts are applied, but not in the way society would want. I just affirm what you're envisioning there. That is exciting. So that's thought number one. Thought number two. Thank you. I would go back to something I had mentioned earlier, that for those 9,000 people, anything that you can do to come alongside them with those basic principles of entrepreneurial constructs or opportunities that are simple, affordable, profitable, and replicable, that, in our experience, that's really important. And, and the reason I'm kind of camping on that thought is it, it's often tempting. Uh, well, here's one example. I see this a lot right now in Cincinnati. I can't speak for the rest of the country, but I certainly see that here. Right now, technology startups are really cool. You know, they're really hot. And everybody wants to, you know, be the first to market with the latest app or whatever. And, and I think that's great. And, though, I have observed that a lot of these technology startups uh, require very specialized skills in terms of programming and stuff like that. So, automatically, you really start to limit the population that could take advantage of it. And, number two, many of them find that profitability is elusive. It takes a long time to get it up and running and stuff like that. Whereas, something that maybe is not so cool, like starting up a hair salon, might nonetheless be a very simple affordable, profitable, replicable way to put somebody in business with a job, and then they get all excited because they, they have a practice, it's up and running now, and now they decide to open up, you know, massage services on the second floor of their salon, and they're growing. Now they're hiring more people, and they inspire other people to do the same thing. So what I'm trying to say is, from a principle standpoint, look for things that aren't too difficult. Uh, and then the third thought I have, and again, this is just from our own experience in Cincinnati. We have really worked hard on developing coaching relationships with the entrepreneurs that we serve. 
it's very popular right now to uh, put people in um, incubators or accelerators where folks kind of go through a, a training track for six months or a year or whatever, and then they graduate and all that. Our approach has been different. In our case, what we have done is to work hard to find business leaders who are able to truly walk with an entrepreneur for two years. And the idea is a, a, it's, it's almost like a form of coaching that's very much uh, – focus on entrepreneurship so that while we certainly have a community of entrepreneurs and we certainly can take people through a training class, the focus is on day-to-day coaching for them with their day-to-day issues as they launch and grow the little enterprise that God's given to them. So that coaching piece for us has been a more practical and helpful way to go than the traditional incubator accelerator format. It's not, I mean, in a sense, we do incubate and we do accelerate, but our focus isn't on programmatically doing that, but personally doing that, one entrepreneur at a time. And that means you have to get really good at recruiting capable business leaders who can come alongside those entrepreneurs. Chuck, can I share one more thing? Glenn, you can cut me off. Um, uh, John, I, John Bost, I just want to say thank you for your, you know, for your stimulating questions, brother. <laughs> and, and I think you're doing, you know, and Scott, thank you too. I, I, I love your question and I love your heart for what you're doing there in Dallas. Um, we're very thankful for that. John, go right ahead. Well, Chuck, I was going to say if you weren't in Kansas City back in, it's either July or June with the Kaufman, K-A-U-F-F-M-A-N, Kaufman Foundation, who has hired Victor Wang, who wrote The Rainforest. If you weren't in that conference, and it'll be done one, two more years uh, regarding ecosystems, which is exactly what you just described. If you weren't there, you should have been there and probably should have been a presenter. Wow. Um, I love that rainforest ecosystem thing for reasons that you wouldn't even have known. I have come to realize that in so many ways, uh, the business tree community here and more generally the faith at work community is an ecosystem. It's an, it's a set of relationships. It's working Christians who've chosen to activate their faith lives at work and to do it together in community. So we become an ecosystem inside the marketplace. And What's so amazing, what you just said, I'm literally talking about that out here in Cincinnati as I'm leading the At Work on Purpose ministry. I'm telling them uh, there's, a, there's actually a field of study now that's being driven primarily out of Stanford University called system leadership, and that's short for leading an ecosystem. And that's exactly what this looks like. And what it means is that you have to be very customized on the ground with the individuals that you're serving. You have to build the support system around them starting where they are rather than trying to drag them into where you are. And um, I just, I will follow up on this. I'll try to Google that or whatever to get some information because I believe that this is a next level or a next stage of the marketplace ministry movement is recognizing that it's not sort of the traditional top-down model that you grow a ministry community with, you know, programmatic stuff and, and leaders and departments and all that, but rather that you create this very tightly interconnected community at a grassroots level. And these people, we, the people, build into each other, all in service to the kingdom. Well, the, okay. the com- if you look at ESHIP, E-S-H-I-P, 
that'll take you into that. It's 400 people from 10 countries. Uh, and, and bottom line, and I'll be quiet, bottom line is he's saying we're, we've been too used to being farmers. We put everything in straight rows and pull the weeds. That's not how a rainforest works. It's really neat stuff. Wow. Um, John, so hey, cool. thank you. John and Chuck, hey, Chuck here. Is, I'm, uh, guys, I'm just going to step in for one second here. Uh, Chuck, I know people are going to want to follow up with you by email after this call. Uh, can you just give us uh, contact information so that folks can get in touch with you? Oh, sure. Yeah, so my email is really simple. It's Chuck at symbol at work on purpose dot org. That's great. All right. So uh, who's the next person asking a question? I, I heard somebody wanting to jump right in, and I kind of stepped on you. I'm sorry about that. That's fine. This is, this is Scott Clevenger uh, again in Dallas. Okay, one Scott. One question is, yeah. one of the things that is is a, a core objective of what we're trying to do here is that, is that the jobs that we're trying to create are jobs that pay $50,000, okay, because that's what it takes to be transformative, you know, because a, a minimum wage job – not much help, really, in the big scope of things. And so I'm just curious what you think about that core concept. Yeah, I think that's a great point, and I totally get that. Um, here, I can only speak from our experience on the ground here, which may not translate perfectly to where you guys are. I am finding that if we can start with somebody at the ground level where in their first few years, they may not make $50,000, but we grow them forward towards that number or a number kind of like that. And then, in a sense, as we fill their bucket, then we start to build out their organization where they can hire other people and get them to that same kind of living wage. In our experience, and maybe it's just, you know, where God's placed us, the, the kinds of uh, simple, affordable, profitable, replicable business trees we've been working on it, it's sort of like, uh, you know, plumbing and handyman and, and, you know, caring for hair and all that kind of stuff. You, you can absolutely get to the point where you're making that every year, but you don't necessarily make that the first year. And you have to cultivate it over a period of time. That looks different from if there are opportunities, and you may have some of these, where perhaps there is some sort of a, uh, a company that decides to uh, open up a manufacturing plan or something like that in a certain location, and they can hire people uh, right off the bat at $50,000 for skills that they can be trained to do, and maybe they're even second-chance hires and stuff like that. That's fantastic. I just found in our experience, if you're creating entrepreneurial ventures from the ground up, the entrepreneur typically doesn't make 50000 in their first year. They work their way to it. Um, well, and, and something that's, a, else. that's a great case. Yeah, Scott, let me just add something else to this. Uh, I've worked a lot in workforce development here in the Twin Cities, and one of the things we found to be extremely helpful was beginning to understand what kind of short-term training opportunities exist in your city where people can uh, be trained in a trade that will, in fact, produce a $50,000 to $70,000 income, either in, uh, I mean, we have 20, we, where do we have? We have five-month 20-week training programs that get people ready for construction jobs and healthcare jobs. We've also discovered that one of the highest-paying jobs out of the chute, you can get uh, an associate's degree in radiology and be paid $90,000 your first day on the job. 
So uh, go to your Department of Economic Development uh, in your city or in your at the state level and uh, ask them for a list of of, uh, of jobs and, and what they pay at an entry level. And they'll give you that list. And then you can look for short-term training opportunities that can help this population get out of where they are. Uh, it may not all be dependent on entrepreneurs. It may, in fact, be dependent on folks getting into growing fields that currently exist. Well, I would totally agree with you. And so you're in the Twin Cities? Right. Yep. Yeah. I'm sorry. Who, who is this speaking? Uh, this is Glenn Barth. I'm the host of the call. Okay, Glenn. Okay. Yeah, I know who yeah, you are. Okay, good, Scott. Yeah, we've met. We've I just met. didn't know that was you. So, yeah, okay, well, now that's a, that's a great idea, um, uh, and I appreciate that. Go, go right ahead now. You had one more thing you wanted to ask about there. Maybe not. <laughs> well, no, I was just uh, comment that, uh, that one of the things we're focused on is what, how can you make 50000 without a college education? Yep. So right. that's a retail right. store manager, that's a restaurant manager, that's healthcare workers. Uh, the number one job in America right now that's going unfilled are truck drivers, and truck drivers can make anywhere from fifty to hundred thousand dollars a year, you know. Yeah. And then entrepreneurs is another segment, right? But well, these yeah, other yeah. other things are interesting as well. Machinists, uh, machinists make a good income, as do construction workers. So lots of different areas where you don't need a college degree, but you certainly need a high school degree. And so GED programs are becoming increasingly important, uh, especially since the educational system right now has made the GED a very difficult thing for people to attain. So, um, you know, those of us in the faith community may want to focus on how do we help people get that GED, and then move into the vocational training. Jay, I, I think I heard one more voice out there, and we have time for one more question. Uh, who, who hasn't asked a question that would like to ask a question right now or make a comment? Yeah, this is uh, Bill Vogelsong in Cleveland, Ohio. And, and Chuck, there's a, um, a group in Cleveland called Intervisions of Cleveland started by a lady um, by the name of Jan Throp who um, was a uh, frustrated social worker, decided what she was doing wasn't of much value if people didn't have self-esteem and some sense of security and has started, um, uh, started a uh, uh, sort of an incubator for these very simple um, businesses that you talk about. And um, she's just done it out of intuition and uh, interesting, she's uh, from the Jewish faith, but she's partnered with a church here in Cleveland. And uh, I've tried to encourage her to, you know, that she could start something like this in every church in the Near East Side of Cleveland. I just wondered how you've been able to spread this amongst other churches, uh, maybe give some insight there. First of all, I love her heart and how cool that she followed her intuition to do that. And second, how cool that you can see how an opportunity like this can build bridges across different faith traditions. So a Jewish lady uh, is connecting with local churches, and I love the way that God can move through those often very eclectic spiritual experiences. So I just uh, wanted to call that out right on the front end. In terms of 
being able to connect into local churches and getting them more engaged. One of the things that we have started to do this year in Cincinnati is I have sort of gathered together local church pastors that have an interest in the broad space of faith at work, and I've been building relationship with them along with others, and we've been sharing different expressions for what that could look like. In other words, work-life ministry in and through the local church. Sometimes what that looks like is the, you know, the pastors just preaching about work as an important form of worship, or perhaps it's uh, small groups that are established inside the local church that have that flavor. But one of the areas that's really generated interest with the local churches has been the concept of a businessry campus, like we have at Grace Chapel here in Mason, Ohio. The reason is multifaceted. One is it's a very innovative form of outreach ministry, if you look at it through the eyes of the local church. And with that, number two, it creates volunteer opportunities that are really uh, different in kind from what a local church would normally have. You know, normally it's stuff like, hey, you could serve on the finance committee or lead our next fundraiser, or can you teach Sunday school? But now you're saying to somebody, would you be involved in helping us to set up an entrepreneurial center? You know, so it's a completely different kind of volunteer space. The third thing is that the revenues that are generated from these different uh, businesses can serve for further ministry advancement. So Apple, we're raising the percentage of the church's operating costs that literally could be covered from the profits of the businesses. Right now, it's about 20% of the local church's cost, but we could envision a day where 100% of its operating expenses could potentially be covered by businessry profits. Mm-hmm. And do you cover some of this in your book, Yes, yeah, so the book, yeah, the book Business Street does speak to some of this, and people travel from all over the world to come visit us out here and tour this campus, and that's an open invitation to any of you. You know, if you ever want to do that, please let us know, and we'll organize that. You know, we'll set time aside so we can just sit down with you, get to know you, show you around. Uh, we work with a bunch of people around the country and overseas now because of that kind of early investment of, of time and relationship. Well, folks, thank you so much for being a part of this call. Uh, again, if you want to get in touch with Chuck directly, you can reach him at Chuck uh, at, and that's at workonpurpose.org. Is that right, Chuck? That's correct. Okay, good. Good. Well, and then if you need to get in touch with us at, at uh, Good Cities, Feel free to email me at glenn, G-L-E-N-N, at goodcities.net. I take recommendations for people who you think we might want to have as guests in the future uh, for this phone call. And I want you to keep in mind, again, that uh, we have a couple of things coming up next month. Jonathan Halperin will be with us from Grayston Bakery, and he'll be talking about open hiring. And uh, Jonathan is just... uh, He's very excited about the concept, and it's working well at Grayston Bakery, and other entrepreneurs are taking this on. Uh, In addition, I might mention one more time that uh, on October 20th and 21st, we're going to start with a Friday evening dinner and then have an all-day meeting on the 21st at uh, S.D. Myers in Akron, Ohio. If you'd like to be a part of that or if you want to learn more, please email me at glenn, G-L-E-N-N, at goodcities.net. And uh, we'll get all the information you need about that. Thanks so much for being on today's call. And 
Chuck, I especially thank you for being on the call. Could we stop for a moment here at the close of the call, and I'll just have a short prayer for you and the good work you're doing in Cincinnati. Thank you. Lord, Lord, I thank you and I praise you for what Chuck is doing and for the good work that uh, that he's performing through his leadership of skill source, of uh, at work on purpose, and uh, of the business tree movement in Cincinnati and in many cities around the country. Thank you for all we've learned today. Help us to grow in our understanding about ways that you might use us in our lives and our work. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much, folks, for being on the call. Look forward to having you next month if you'd like to hear about open hiring. Have a great day. <laughs>